Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Good morning. What fantastic weather we're having, aren't we? See, being British, it's good to talk about the weather at the start and get out of the way. (laughs) Well, I'm certain by now you know that we're making our way through our visions and values. And looking at the number of my sheet, we're on value and vision number 14, which is one new man. And the definition of that to us is it's a church which wholeheartedly embraces the New Testament teaching of the one new man, demonstrating love and respect between the races, cultures and sexes. To understand the doctrine of one new man, we actually have to dive back, although it says the New Testament teaching, we have to dive back into the Old Testament and start to understand about God's plan for salvation. You see, although the Old Testament is the story of the Jewish people and their relationship with God, God never meant for only the Jews to be saved and counted into his kingdom. That was never the plan. The Jewish people were seen as being the printers of God's salvation into the earth, but not the sole inheritors of the promises. And proof of that can be found in Psalms. Psalm 96 says this, Well sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous works among all the peoples. In 97, Psalm 97 it says this, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, Let the many coastlands be glad. See, if God's plan for salvation was only to the Jewish people, then why were all the nations and all the peoples rejoicing and worshipping? And again, even the promises made in the the Old Testament were for all peoples. In Joel, we were promised the Holy Spirit. And it says this, And it shall come to pass afterward, That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And the key part there is on all flesh. God is making promises through the Jewish people to everyone on the planet. God always intended that his spirit, that his salvation should be given to all peoples. And it was fulfilled when Christ was sacrificed on the cross. Galatians says this. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. So the law was there 
to keep us from straying in order that we might be justified by faith. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. When we accepted Jesus as our saviour, we inherited the promise that was given to Abraham. Abraham, who the Jews look on, has been a father figure. <clears throat> the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles was removed. Where previously, the Jewish people felt that only they were worthy to worship God. Now through Jesus' sacrifice, all people nations could come and worship the Lord God. It wasn't so much that there was a reconciliation between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And if you look back through history, you can see that. You know, you see the pogroms, you go into York, and at the Sainsbury's car park in York, you see the, the plaque on it where they found the mass um, burial site of the Jews who were slaughtered, even locally in a place like York. You know, you see the Holocaust. There's no way that you can look back through history and think that that was a reconciliation of the Jews and the Gentiles. If anything, it made life tougher for the Jews. But what did happen when Christ was sacrificed was that a new creation was birthed. When we go back to what Christ was trying to build on this earth, he came to establish a creation called the church. A place where all peoples could come and worship. A place where all people could come and be free to find salvation and to minister before the throne of God. Ephesians says this. Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So when you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. <clears throat> God has taken what was separate, his people of the promise and the Gentiles, and created one new man in place of the two. 
the tool he's using to establish that is the church. It says it is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Therefore, if we believe in a, a, a vision, a value of a New Testament, one man, then it behoves us to try and understand not only what we become when we accepted the salvation, but what we are to become in Christ and what that means with our outlook to the rest of the peoples, to all the nations. <clears throat> In that Ephesians quote, we see that God is building a dwelling place for himself by the Spirit. And he says that the dwelling place is built on foundations laid by apostles and prophets, and that this structure is going to grow into the temple of the Lord. There's a description um, of the New Testament church, church found in Ephesians 4. And it says it's a church built on the, the gifts mentioned in the Ephesians 4 ministries. And it says this, that he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's not just enough to have accepted Christ in our life. It's not just enough to have come to the cross and accepted the sacrifice made on that cross. There's more after the cross. We're called to be doers. We're called to be life changers as well as life savers. We are called to try and be built into an image, a reflection of Christ. We are God's ambassadors on this earth now. We are the people that our friends look to, to see God reflected in. How we act when we're not in the church, how we act with other people, is seen as a reflection of God. People are very quick to point a finger at us when we do wrong and say, call yourself a Christian. Would a Christian do that, aren't they? It shows that they're paying attention to our actions and taking in how we behave. <clears throat> if we are going to be Christ-like, then the Bible tells us we've got to be part of the body. The Bible tells us that we've got to let people input into our lives. Because we are to be built up into the image of Christ. And it tells us clearly who those people that we should be listening to are. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. All people with good Christian ministries. Who know good doctrine. And who guide us away from stuff that is not healthy for us. Into stuff that is good for us. That we might become more Christ-like in our walk. 
it talks <coughs> sorry it talks about us becoming one body it talks about us being one unit and I think that it's a fantastic imagery that's used throughout the, the New Testament for the church because if you look at different parts of your body they all look a bit different don't they you know you'd never mistake a head for a foot you'd never mistake a hand for a leg everything in our bodies has a different function and that imagery is worth keeping hold of as we think of us being built up because it's not that God although we're attaining or trying to attain a Christ-like nature it's not that God is building us into clones we each function in a different way we each print something different to this congregation we each print something different to the body and it's important that we value each individual's contribution. Now I've already said that to understand the New Testament teaching of one new man, we had to look at the Old Testament. And there's something quite interesting about the Old Testament in the way that God was actually worshipped. And I want to talk about that now because it's quite interesting taking the temple in Jerusalem as an example. Now, I actually come from a Jewish background. My great-grandfather was a rabbi. So, that there is a side of my family that thinks they're going to heaven. Regardless, because they're God's chosen fa people. God's family. But it's quite interesting when you talk to them about worship. Because the way that it's described in the Bible 2,000 years ago is pretty much still the way it happens today and in the temple in Jerusalem um, there were certain areas that had different functions to them and the first place you would come to as you came up to the temple in Jerusalem was the court of the Gentiles and you may be familiar with this from the story of Jesus clearing out the temple because this is actually the courtyard that Jesus went into and started tossing tables over and um, really getting passionate about what was happening in his father's house. Because really, what it had become by the time Jesus was there, was a bazaar. It was like a marketplace with money lenders and people selling sacrificial animals. Um, taking your Roman coins and changing them over for coins that were worthy to be given into the offering. You know, there was a lot of business going on in the court of the Gentiles. And yet when they initially set out, that was as far as the nations could come to worship God. That was for all the non-Jewish people. Yet yeah, become a marketplace. The next court that you would enter is the court of women. Now, before you think this is a, a sexist name, it's quite interesting to look at what actually happened in that court as well. Because this was an area where all the Jewish people could go into, whether you were male or female. Even people who were ritually unclean could go into this area to perform housekeeping duties. And it had a little area set out for lepers. And it even had a barber shop for Nazarites. This was the largest of the temple courts. 
And it was also a place where there was constant singing, dancing and music. It was quite a bustling place, still noisy. The next area was the court of the Israelites. And that area was exclusive for Jewish men. We're getting closer and closer to the, the Holy of Holies here. And from here, Jewish men could see the sacrificial offerings made by the high priest in the court of the priests. This is where they could see what they were praying to God was actually being sacrificed to God. Now, I've mentioned another court there, which was the court of the priests, which was reserved solely for Levite priests who performed the sacrifices you know, stuff like lambs, doves, pigeons. Then finally, you come to the temple itself. And in the temple itself, you've got the big curtain that veils the Holy of Holies. Where only the, the chief priest can go into. It held the famous vessels, the menorah. It had an incense burning altar. And it had various other implements. But throughout the temple, there were fewer and fewer people who could come close to God. Until eventually there's only one man who could approach God. And then only at certain times. So despite the fact that we had a chosen people, there were severe restrictions on who should be allowed to approach God. And how near they could actually get to God. Gentiles, Gentiles sorry, were kept outside. Women were allowed closer. But still not into the inner courts. Jewish men could enter the inner courts. But only priests could get anywhere near coming before God. You know the beautiful thing about Jesus dying on the cross. Is when he died... That curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from us was torn in two. And we now become a royal priesthood called to approach God and worship God. You know, there's that, um, there's that how man can it be? There's lines in there that say, Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown of Christ my own. I know not about you, but if on Saturday if you tried to approach the or on Friday if you tried to approach the Queen and take her crown, I'm quite certain there would have been quite a few people tried to stop you. You know, but we're told bold we approach the eternal throne. Isn't that fantastic? And you know what? It's not just that Gentile men can now approach the eternal throne. What makes us unique is that there's no longer any divisions stopping people's coming to God regardless of your ethnicity regardless of your uh, gender regardless of your abilities you know whether you're capable bodied or if you've got a disability there's nothing stopping you coming before God we're all called to be a royal priesthood and to worship God the church is a model of diversity Diversity, one body, many parts. So what does this mean for us as a church? When we reach out 
into Doncaster we're not trying to build a church of people who are just like us we're not into building white middle class churches that's not what God has called us to do For the church to grow to the size we want it to grow, we're going to have to learn to embrace diversity and to start understanding the different people groups that are actually within our town. You see, it's a great feeling that missionary work is out there to the ends of the earth. But really, missionary works like charity. It starts at home. You know, but I don't really believe charity starts at home. <laughs> We need to be looking at the different peoples within Doncaster and starting putting together strategies on how we're going to reach them. You know, at one time, Britain used to send missionaries all over the globe. And I'm sure we could name some of them. People like Hudson Taylor, <coughs> Livingston, Eric Liddell, Ring a Bell, Chariots of Fire, Jackie Pullinger few names people recognised. We sent thousands of missionaries out taking the gospel to the nations. But when I was a Christian in Scotland in the 90s, we had missionaries come over from Brazil. And they came over because God had given them a vision. And that vision had been Britain on fire. And as it was on fire, flames leapt out of it to every nation in the world. But as they looked on that vision, the fire was dying back and dying back until all that was left were embers. And they felt that God had told them they had to come over here with the gospel to restoke the fire. How far are we fallen that from being a nation that touched, literally touched the world with missionary work that the world is now coming here to touch us and restock our fires something else that was pointed out as well is that although we're no longer going to the nations God seems to be printing the nations to us isn't it great that we have so many nationalities now coming into this country you see, we don't have to go far to reach out to the nations now. We just have to take a walk down the high street. How many different languages do you hear walking down a high street nowadays? Even in a place like Selby. You know, which is a small town north of Doncaster. You can walk down there and you can hear people talking in Asian languages. You can hear them talking in Eastern European languages. You know, there's lots of different cultures coming to this country. I remember going to a concert once in um, the Aston area of Birmingham and I, I must have walked for two hours because we got down there so early travelling from Edinburgh we didn't want to miss the concert. We, we walked around for two hours and we never saw anyone with skin our colour in those two hours. I work in Bradford. Bradford is another place you can walk about and struggle to see, you know, white British people. 
we have a multicultural society. Plenty of people here for us to reach out to. You know, thanks to the British Empire never having the sun set on it, we now find people coming here with African backgrounds, Caribbean backgrounds, Asian backgrounds. Now, thanks to the European Union, even European backgrounds. <clears throat> you know, those are some of the larger settlements of people we're seeing. There's a lot of small settlements as well. We've got large areas of our towns that are practically becoming ghettos because people from similar cultures settle in that area. The question is, as a church, how do we reach out into these areas? If we're going to be a town-wide church, do we ignore these areas? Or do we have to start building a strategy that means we can reach in? How do we include people who are part of communities separate from our own? Now this is a challenge that's facing us as a church that wants to grow. As we begin to realise our vision of a town-wide church, then we're going to have to build strategies that lead these people to salvation. We're going to need people in this church who see culture as a challenge, not as a barrier. Question is, do we have these people now? Is it you? We also need to be a church that accepts the benefits of diversity. You know, we value people in this church. Diversity also brings challenges though. Because if people aren't like us, it can be scary. And from a Scot, it's very scary. You know they can still shoot a Scot within the walls of York with a bow and arrow. It's never been revoked, that law. Thankfully, there's not many people carry bows and arrows with them nowadays. <laughs> but here's a question. I've moved 200 miles south to work in the north. <clears throat> and there's times, despite the fact I've been here 11 years, I feel like an alien. I feel totally excluded from things that are going on. Especially when there's a World Cup on. You know, if I could hibernate for a World Cup, I would. Because it doesn't matter that, you know, I couldn't care less if England win a World Cup. I'm going to say that now on tape. You know, it's going on the internet. The world can hear this. I don't care if England win the World Cup. But what, the amount of abuse I take during the World Cup, even from people who are total strangers, it's unreal. Because they just expect, oh, you're a jock. You want anyone to beat us, won't you? You know what? It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because, yeah, the quicker you get kicked out, the less hassle I get. <laughs> it's a no-brainer. How much harder then, if I find it tough, is it for people who come from cultures totally opposite to ours? <clears throat> you know, in this country and in this church, we accept the role that women have to play, you know, in our homes, in society, and their roles in the church.
There's lots of cultures there where women are still viewed as second-rate citizens. You know, strict dress codes, strict rules about what they can do, what they can't do, the expectations put on them. How do we reach out to that sort of culture? What about cultures that embrace Darwinism and teach survival of the fittest? You know, no matter what you think of our country, we have a social state that looks after the weakest in the nations. We have a national health service. We have a welfare state that, whose vision was to look after us from the cradle to the grave. We have that inbuilt into us. You know, the generations coming up never knew a time where we didn't have that. There are lots of countries out there where if you're poor, if you're needy, then tough. Our challenge moving forward isn't just to reach out to people like ourselves. But how do we start to expand to include all people groups? And you know what the answer to that is? Is there in our value? Is to show something that a lot of cultures find hard to show. Love. You know, as Brits, we tend to have quite a stiff upper lip, don't we? We find it hard to show our emotions. And if you think as an Englishman you find that hard, you ought to try being brought up as a Scotsman. It's harder still. You're not allowed emotions. I, my workplace is putting us on a manager's learning path. And one of the, the modules um, is an emotional intelligence module. And the guy who's doing it is an expert at reading body language and stuff like that. And at the end of two days, he came up to me and he said, I just can't do it. And I says, you can't do what? He says, I just can't read you. And I went, what do you mean? He says, well, I've been with you two days now and I just can't tell what you're feeling. And I says, well, my wife's been with me for eight and a half years and she's still got that problem. <laughs> he turned around and says, you're almost like a Vulcan. He says, there's no emotion comes out of you at all. He says, I'm expecting you to go out if you're going to live long and prosper. <laughs> you know, that is the sort of upbringing that we have in Britain. Emotion is seen as a bad thing. We need to lose that. We need to start embracing diversity. And the only way we're going to do that and break down barriers <laughs> is to stop being British. We, start, we need to start taking a loving and caring God into communities and look for ways that we can serve these communities and reach out into them. You know, when Joel preached the other week, he gave us a challenge to start thinking about what social action we could be taking now as a church to help the poor and needy. Well, I'm going to give you another challenge today. How do we start reaching out into the communities in Doncaster that are from other cultures? What are those cultures? Where are they? And how do we reach them?
Because by reaching these people, you stand to put the Great Commission into practice. John <coughs> saw this. He saw a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. We don't have to go far in this country to find people from every nation, tribe and people language. They're here on our doorstep. What we need to do is rise to the challenges we face. As we manoeuvre to find our position in this town, then what we need to be doing is looking at every avenue that opens up to us, not just building a church of clones. Diversity is to be embraced, not rejected. And then truly, we'll be able to say that we're a church which wholeheartedly embraces the New Testament teaching of the one new man, demonstrating love and respect between the races, cultures and sexes. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 